Becker's Hospital Review is committed to delivering our audience safe access to vital educational opportunities. With this in mind, our 11th annual meeting will be in virtual format for the first time. Whether in the home or workplace, attendees will have access to sessions where industry leaders will be discussing the most pressing issues in healthcare, including the rise of virtual care, addressing clinician burnout, and delivering on-price transparency. To learn more, click on the conference tab at beckershospitalreview.com. This is Laura Deirdre with the Becker's Healthcare Podcast. I'm thrilled to be joined today by Dr. Joe Corcoran, Division Chief Medical Officer for HCA Healthcare. Dr. Corcoran, it's a pleasure to have you on the podcast today. Laura, I'm really pleased to be here. Thank you for the invitation. Absolutely. So first off, before we jump into the questions, could you please tell us a little bit about yourself and your background? Yeah, thanks very much. So uh, my name is Dr. Joe Corcoran, and I work for HCA Healthcare. I'm an OBGYN by training, and I practiced in Florida for about a dozen years before I moved over to the administrative side of healthcare. I joined HCA a little more than eight years ago, first as a facility CMO at the largest hospital in our West Florida division, which is in Tampa. In 2018, I was recruited to serve as the chief medical officer for HCA's Far West Division based here in Las Vegas. HCA Far West covers California and Nevada, where we have 15,000 colleagues, 5,500 active physicians, and eight acute care hospitals, as well as about three dozen ancillary care sites like ambulatory surgery centers, freestanding ERs, and urgent care centers. Across the year, Laura, we delivered care to more than 1.3 million patients. And as the division's chief medical officer, I'm accountable for assuring that our care is as safe and effective as possible. In late January of 2020, HCA Far West had the company's very first COVID patient walk into one of our Silicon Valley hospital emergency rooms. And that was the first of more than 122,000 COVID inpatients that HCA has treated thus far. And our Far West teams not only had the first inpatient case, we've treated the most total inpatient cases across the pandemic. And we've had the greatest daily census of COVID inpatients in our organization. I think the really exciting news there is around how much we learned in the process of treating this unique and novel infection. Absolutely. Thank you so much for going through all that with us. It sounds like you've got a vast uh, um, knowledge and expertise in terms of being able to lead these medical teams and had quite a time, you know, with the COVID patients coming on here. So what are your top priorities today and how do you anticipate they're going to change in the coming year? So I think there are probably three things that come to top of mind immediately. And first and foremost is we have to continue to keep our amazing people safe and healthy and hopefully getting them a chance to exhale. You know, one of the things that I've always preached, Laura, is that we have to take care of ourselves and take care of each other so that we can be there to take care of our communities. Um, second of all, we've got to keep our facilities safe as places to work and to receive care because the longer our patients are putting off care, the more likely it is that their ultimate outcome uh, could get compromised. And then finally, I'm super excited about getting back to delivering care in all 
of our lines of care, not just caring for the COVID patient, which has dominated all of our focus for the last 12, 13 months. Absolutely. Yeah, I think that makes a lot of sense. And when you look at that third point in terms of getting back to delivering care for all, what types of things do you need or do your hospitals and in clinics need in order to make sure that you're delivering that safe type of care? Well, first of all, we need the, uh, the buy-in and the confidence of our patients and our communities. You know, there have been um, patients with maladies making rational decisions to delay care, but it's a little worrisome about what do those delays mean. You know, Laura, there will be countless graduate school cases written up about the long-term implications of the last 12 or 13 months. One study that I saw uh, that was done by an electronic health record company that supports hematology oncology showed that in the second quarter of 2020, right as the first wave was peaking, 18% of chemotherapy patients were canceling their appointments. So these are patients with known cancers that are making the rational decision, hey, am I going, am I at more risk from the cancer or from catching COVID with my already compromised immune system? What's the long-term implication of that? Honestly, I don't think we'll know for years. So I think getting back to earning the trust, earning the, the, the credibility from our patients is absolutely essential so that they know that our hospitals are safe places to get their care. That makes sense. Thank you so much for sharing that with us. Now, what are you most excited about today and what makes you nervous? <laughs> Two very loaded questions there, Laura. I, what makes me excited, first of all, is, you know, it really feels like there's a light at the end of the tunnel. You know, we just went through our third and steepest wave of COVID in California and in Nevada. Um, and we've peaked. We saw our peak probably three, maybe four weeks ago, depending on which community you look at. But between that current downward trend, between the availability of vaccines and, of course, counting on normal seasonal variation, it really feels like um, that maybe, maybe we're turning the corner on this and starting to get ahead of the threat of this unprecedented pandemic. You know, certainly vaccines are a game changer. Um, I do have concern about colleagues and community members who choose not to get vaccinated. And, you know, listen, I understand it. There's tons of misinformation and in many cases, justifiable mistrust, especially in communities of color and immigrant communities. So we've actually made a very concerted and targeted outreach to those uh, communities to communicate that the vaccines are safe and they are effective. Um, and I think it's important to point out that uh, you know, people of color were enrolled in the vaccine studies. So we really need to get over that. But you know, again, vaccines are a big part of what gets me excited about the idea that there's a light at the end of the tunnel. One of the other things that really gets me excited is, you know, the resiliency that we have discovered, not just individuals and resiliency, but our facilities, our organization 
even the, the, the industry has developed a resiliency that I believe will pay dividends for many, many years to come. You know, we've learned from these 122,000 patients that HCA has cared for, and we've innovated care in many places. Um, I think that's a great platform for the future of clinical care. And then finally, the other thing that excites me is, once again, just getting back to delivering all of the care that the community needs and expanding beyond just focusing on COVID. What makes me anxious is really easy. Um, first, it's, it's the, the unknown unknowns. It's uh, what we don't know might be a problem. Um, this COVID pandemic challenged us in ways that many of us never imagined. I mean, whoever thought that commodities like PPE or lab test medium or, or even the oxygen that flows out of the headwalls would be the weakest links in our supply chain. So we've had to learn things about our hospitals and our care delivery that were just automatic and assumptions. Um, we've had to really dig deep and figure those out as we were threatened with shortages in, in so many different ways. I'm anxious about how our patients and our communities will fare. You know, there are, like I said, there are countless grad school case studies that will that will look at the longer term impact of COVID. I think it's yeah, I think it's absolutely heartbreaking the rise that we have seen of suicides in our school age children. It's heartbreaking as a parent, um, and but also the the impact of the delayed care on life expectancy and on quality of care. And then I think the other thing that makes me anxious is uh, again going back to learning. Um, what have we learned? that we can apply to the next crisis level challenge. Um, how can we learn from this unprecedented pandemic so that we can be better prepared for the next one? Um, you know, particularly, how can we make sure that our colleagues are never pushed to the brink of exhaustion and burnout like they have been across the COVID challenge? That's a great point. And I know you brought up some of the issues with um, clinician burnout and really being stressed during this pandemic. I'm wondering from your perspective, what are things looking like now? Do you think that some relief is around the corner or is your organization really making it a point to um, provide this type of relief for, for your caregivers to make sure they're taking care of themselves? You know, um, great question, Laura. We have, as an organization, always held true to our mission. And HCA's mission is very, very simple and very, very straightforward. We are committed to the care and improvement of human life. And that's not just a commitment that we make to our patients. It's one that we make to our staffs, our colleagues, the, the, the doctors and nurses and, uh, and support people that are there at the bedside taking care of patients. We've really made some extraordinary efforts to make sure that um, our teams have access to um, mental health counselors, to grief counselors, to clergy members, all who have been phenomenally willing to step up and, and go through some really difficult conversations. But we want to make sure that we're supporting our teams the right way. Um, you know, it's interesting because we as an organization have a lot of hospitals in, in Florida and in Texas. And, you know, again, I've, I came from one of our hospitals in Florida. And when we 
had a hurricane approaching, we were able to pull in additional staff from our hospitals across the country. Well, we couldn't really do that this time because the whole country was being hit by the same hurricane. So the cavalry just wasn't there. And so we really were challenged to find some support and some relief so that these committed caregivers could take a deep breath, uh, reconnect even even briefly with their families and their passions and, and rediscover what it was that brought them to healthcare in the first place. Oh, fantastic. Now, as we wrap up our conversation, I have one more question for you about leadership. What are your top three pieces of advice for aspiring leaders today? Oh, boy, <laughs> what a year it's been. And, um, you know, I, I think you, you probably can figure that my first piece of advice is to put your people first. You know, um, it, it seems almost cliche to say that your people are your most important asset, but I think we've really walked that walk and talked that talk at HCA, you know, and for and our people have been priority one from day one. Um, I am really committed to the concept of the team of teams and the, uh, the strength of the teams behind the teams. Um, you know, it's about getting the right people in the right roles giving them the resources that they need to do their jobs well, and then really importantly, trust them to do their job well. Sharing best practices with real-time learning, uh, give them experts the, that can help guide them when, they're, when they come up to a crossroad. Um, Another another focus I think Laura would be you know kind of goes back to uh, one of my passions playing tennis you know whenever I would take a lesson uh, the, my instructor would always say play on your toes you've got to be agile you've got to be flexible and I think that that's tremendous guidance for anyone who is leading a team that is under duress and stress as our healthcare heroes have been you know if it, don't be afraid of trying new ideas. Certainly, you know, execute at a high level on the on the best practices that you know that work. But in COVID, we have had to try new ideas and we've never discouraged that. The only thing that I would add is, is uh, if you're going to fail, fail fast. Um, and then the last piece is is more of a commentary rather than advice. I have found it tremendously important to be working for a purpose-driven organization. That makes it easier to come up uh, and, and, and face the day, even when you're tired and um, uh, even when your, 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 your energies are low. I am inspired by the people who keep showing up, taking care of patients, even when they were overwhelmed. But that's the great thing about healthcare, Laura, is we work in a profession surrounded by people who run to the sound of disaster, not shirk away from it. Absolutely. I think that makes a lot of sense. And it really is very inspiring to think about first, you know, putting people first and having that team of teams idea, I think makes a lot of sense. And number two, playing on your toes, being agile and flexible, especially when your teams are under duress. And then number three, working for a purpose-driven organization always makes it a lot easier to come to work every day and really find your mission within that. Dr. You bet. Absolutely. Dr. Corcoran, thank you so much for being here today. I really appreciate your time. and I look forward to connecting with you again in the future. I'd enjoy that. Thanks so much, Laura. Thank you.